Good evening, everyone. Happy New Year. Yeah, I know. That was a lame joke, but it's true. Today's, uh, we begin a new year today as Catholics. So the start of Advent is the start of the liturgical year. And so I would encourage you, I, you might not have known that before tonight, maybe you did. Today is a great day of new beginning. It's a new year, it's a new moment of grace in the life of the church. It's a new moment of grace in the, life, the moment of your life. Uh, so before we jump into the homily, uh, one logistic note tonight. So during Advent, every year here at Lourdes, uh, Advent and Lent, the Mass parts are sung in Latin. And if you don't know those, I'd encourage you to learn them. They're not that hard to learn. They, there are cards in your pews that have all the Latin words in the music to go with them for the Latin chants. The reason we do that is because as human beings, God gave us bodies, and our ears matter. And when we sing in Latin during Advent and Lent, it marks those seasons as different. And I, I'm sure you're the same way as me. I just need that. As I get older, I don't love the cold as much. I, I'm starting to hate winters. But I think I would miss them because I need the change of seasons. Right, the change of seasons is meaningful in life. So I encourage you to learn those. Uh, we'll be singing those tonight. When I was a senior in high school, 98, better than all of your classes, uh, in my senior year of high school, it, we had at my high school a uh, senior class. It was open only to seniors, and it was an elective, and it was like the senior goof-off class, and it was amazing. It was like the best thing ever. And so it was a sociology class, and in that class, it, you basically just played games in class. And it was, everybody wanted in, it was amazing, it was super fun. I got in, it was a great class. And one of the things in that class was there were a couple of exams, but the teacher, Mr. Clark, was a great, great teacher. Uh, Mr. Clark told you at the beginning of the year that, hey, you're seniors, you're all stressed out about what you're gonna do next year, where are you going in life? And I don't want you to be stressed. So for the exams in this class, I want you to study for them, but if you get a grade you don't like, you can retake the test as many times as you want until you get the grade you want. And we were like, yes, right? Best day ever. For most of us, right, we, we love moments like that. A do-over is a, is a great thing. I feel that every time I give my first homily for the weekend. Every time. Last night I gave the 4.30 homily and I was like, that was so excruciatingly painful. I wrote a new one for today. I got a do-over. It's great. I love do-overs. They're so good. Tonight as we begin Advent, though, what I want to invite you into is that if you and I had that, if we had the ability to just have a second chance, a third chance, and over and over and over again, 
that actually would rob life of its meaning. So Mr. Clark really was wonderful. I, great teacher. I love that class. We had a great time. But also, because he did that, everyone knew that that class was meaningless. We all knew it. And probably the best example of this that's ever kind of been done in a very deep and thoughtful way is that great movie Groundhog Day. And if you haven't seen that, I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. But you should watch Groundhog Day. The first time I saw it, I didn't actually like it. Uh, as, as I've aged, that movie's actually gotten better because it's actually trying to say something. Groundhog Day with Bill Murray it has, it has a great message. Because Bill Murray in that movie, the premise of the movie is that he's stuck in Groundhog Day. And so in other words, he has an infinite number of tries at that one day. And at first it sounds great. It sounds amazing. And so he knows what's going to happen every day and he can anticipate what everyone's going to say. He has all kinds of ways that he can manipulate uh, that one day in time to his own advantage. And it sounds great. All the things, all the mistakes he's made, he can make up for them. He can try them again tomorrow because it'll be the same day. But the movie does a masterful job that as it goes on, you see the time becomes meaningless. It becomes empty. And what happens for Bill Murray is that something that would, I think would happen to all of us is that if you have an infinite number of tries, it doesn't really matter what you did today. And so what also happens to him in that movie is he starts to do some immoral things. Because it really doesn't matter. Because if I do something wrong to today, I have tomorrow, and it doesn't really matter. I have an infinite number of, of tries at this. Advent is not about Christmas. At least not primarily. Advent is not about Christmas. Advent is a Latin word. Advenire is a Latin verb to come. And of course, Jesus came at Christmas, so it's, it fits with that. But it's not about that. It's reason number 8,500,000,000 why you should not be celebrating Christmas this month. Advent is not about Christmas. It is about the moment that Jesus will return to judge the world. That's what Advent's about, brothers and sisters. And I want to do two simple things tonight. I want to open up our gospel reading, which is super powerful. And what I want to tell you about is that for us as Christian men and women, you and I have already lived through the end times. The New Testament is emphatic about this. I want to open that up for you. And it's present in our gospel reading tonight. And then I want to show you that because of that, you are different. No one really thinks they're going to die around us. No one really thinks that God is going to come back to judge the earth, but you do. And if the world doesn't think their life is ever really going to end, 
It doesn't really matter how they live, and the world tells us that every day. Loosen up. Just be nice, right? In our culture, everything is permissible except for smoking and not recycling, right? Everything else is allowed. It doesn't because your life doesn't matter. So just be a nice person and recycle. That's it. And that's a lie from hell. So let's look at our gospel tonight. Uh, I would encourage you this year, we're, we're st- as with a new year, we start a new set of readings. And so this year we're in Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel has 16 chapters. It's very fast. It's very quick. If you have not read it, you should read it tomorrow. If you've never read it before, it's very quick. You should read it over and over and over again this year. But tonight we're in Mark chapter 13, and our our reading tonight comes at the end of Jesus talking about the end of the world and the time that he will return to judge the earth. And at the end of chapter 13 is our gospel. Tonight he tells this parable of the master who leaves. He puts, it doesn't say servants, his slaves in charge, and he singles out the porter. He commands the porter to be on the watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock crow, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And here's the really cool thing. I told this to the 4.30 mass last night, and I, I just didn't give a great homily, but uh, I was like, man, it took me like 20 years of study to, to realize that this is what's happening in Mark's gospel, and I felt like it was such a bad homily that no one cared. So if you treat me in the same way, God will return, and may he have mercy on your soul. Okay. This is so amazing. Those four moments that Jesus names in this parable... In the evening, midnight, cock crow in the morning. In Mark's gospel, the rest of the suffering and death of Jesus unfolds in those four moments. And it's not an accident. This is not a coincidence. This parable tonight is trying to tell us something very deep as Christians. So the master, it says, might return at evening. In Mark 14, 17, we're told it is evening, and the apostles find themselves at the Last Supper with Christ. At midnight, and we'll come back to this in a minute, at midnight, the apostles find themselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. At cock crow, you know that one. If you go to Israel, you'll go to the church of Peter Galicantu, which is the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, where Peter stood outside, and when the cock crows, Jesus looks and makes eye contact with Peter because he has betrayed him three times. 
And in morning, Jesus has spent the night in prison at Caiaphas' house, condemned by the, the Jewish authorities. And in the morning, that fourth watch that Jesus names in this parable tonight, in morning, Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate, the pagan governor, so that he might be condemned by the whole world. So what does this mean? When does Jesus come? He tells a parable to us, Christian men and women, disciples of Jesus Christ. He tells a parable to us about the hour when the Master will come. And he makes an emphatic uh, statement to us. Right At the end of the parable tonight, he says, What I say to you, I say to all. Watch. I hope you hear that word tonight as a word that Jesus himself says to you. Stay awake. Watch. If we are grounded in Scripture, we'll know, right, that it's the same thing he says to the apostles as they fall asleep in Gethsemane. So what does this mean? Brothers and sisters, there are more than one coming of Christ. And this parable is about a moment of judgment, that the master will return and he will enter into judgment. And the moment that that happened for us as Christians was the passion. This is deep stuff, but the, the New Testament is emphatic that in a certain sense, when Jesus died on the cross, the world came to an end. On the cross, sin was judged. Paul's emphatic about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. That the judgment of the world happened in the crucifixion of Jesus. Sin was condemned in his flesh. On the cross, the world, for all of its talk, and you and I as Christian men and women, for all of our talk about how we're good people and we love God and we're not that bad, all of my lies and all of my sin are right there. It's no mistake, it's no accident that on the cross, the sun fails and goes dark while Jesus suffers. It's no mistake, it's no coincidence, it is no accident that the temple veil is torn from top to bottom. All of these things I could go on if we had you know, an hour tonight, and I just want to do a poll who wants to stay for an hour homily. Okay, three people. The rest of you are sinners. But really, I mean this. In a certain sense, the world ended in a crucifixion. For Jewish people, they always believed, and the Old Testament believes this, that there are two ages of history. There's what, the, what Jews call the present age, and there is the age to come. And the age to come would be marked by the resurrection of the dead. 
St. Paul and Jesus and the early church, they know that already happened. There are two judgments of the world, brothers and sisters. And so the, the, this point that I want to make here is that you and I, if we are real Christians, if we live the way we're supposed to live, if we receive the gift of God through our baptism, through the Holy Eucharist, through a life of faith, hope, and love, if we live these things, we have already passed through the final judgment. I already did. I was already condemned at the cross. I died with Jesus. And when he rose, I rose with him. And so did you. This is what the sacraments are all about. What every sacrament does, brothers and sisters, is it inserts you into the death of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, chapter 1, or chapter 6, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, that you and I, who have been baptized, were baptized into the death of Christ Jesus? Colossians 3, verse 3. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When he who is our life appears, you too will appear with him in glory. You've already died. You have already gone through the judgment, and this is why the church does not fear the final judgment. We hope for it. And that leads me to my last point tonight. If you understand this, you will understand that this is why we do what's called honorantum and Adorientum is where the priests and the deacons face the same direction as the, the congregation. In Latin, it means towards the east. At the day, and the day you were baptized, here's what happened. And in, when you were baptized, you entered into the death of Jesus. And in the ancient church, what always happened, and I've been doing this more and more in Lourdes, is that when you made your profession of faith, you were a baby, so you didn't make it. Your godparents and your parents did. The priest asked you, or the deacon asked the parents and godparents, do you reject Satan? He said, I do. And your godparents and parents, when they did that in the ancient church, what always happened is they faced west. West for the church is darkness, it's sunset, it's the world. Do you reject Satan? I do. And all his works, I do. And all of his empty show, I do. And then you turned to the east. And the priest or the deacon asked the parents and godparents, do you believe in God the Father Almighty? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I do. The east for the early church was a symbol of two things because the sun rises in the east. Two things it meant. Resurrection and the return of Jesus in glory. What it means to be a Christian, brothers and sisters, 
is to turn to the east. That's what it means. And there's two ways that we worship God. We worship God in the Mass, and we worship Him in the way we live. You've got to bring those two things together. In the Mass, right, the, the liturgy, the divine liturgy, draws our hearts away from the world and towards God. To look forward to His return in glory and to the resurrection of the dead. But Advent reminds us that we have to live that way. To be a Christian means that we do not behave like other people. We do not live for the ordinary things of this world. We live knowing that the Master will return. At evening, at midnight, at cockcrow, in the morning, at one point he will return. What if this Advent was different for you? What if it was different? What if you told your family this year, we're going to live Advent instead of Christmas in December? We're going to pray on the Lord's return. We're going to remember that he will come to judge the world. We're going to spend December meditating on that. And then when Christmas comes, we'll celebrate Christmas better than we ever have. What if you did it differently, though, this Advent? What if you actually lived Advent? What if you defied Starbucks and Amazon and Macy's and whoever else, and you said it's not Christmas? Because the Lord will come. Jesus, help us this Advent to stay awake and to watch.